The following audio is from the King's Chapel in Clifton, Virginia. For more information about our church or to listen to more sermons from this series, you can visit us online at thekingschapel.org. I couldn't help but notice as the musicians were playing their songs, I detected some some tunes from some familiar Christmas stories. I don't know if you heard a little bit of, was it Home Alone in there at the beginning? And <laughs> a few others. <laughs> Christmas stories, whether it's a kid being left at home to fend off bad guys, or an elf, or someone who thinks he's an elf saving Christmas, or all the Hallmark ones. I guess it's a girl goes to a small town and finds the world's most eligible bachelor somehow <laughs> waiting for her. These stories that we love at Christmas time, often they end with this closing line or this idea. And that's what Christmas is all about, right? That's what Christmas is all about. And everything around us would give us the impression that that's true, that Christmas is all about trees and snow and food and cheer and children and presents, traditions and romance. But what is Christmas truly all about? No doubt we uh, should reunite with family and enjoy the food and the festivities. I can see the way your faces light up when we sing these familiar carols. We love these traditions. But tragically, tradition is all that Christmas is for far too many people. Yet what God's word reveals is not that Christmas means just a little bit more, as the Grinch says, but that Christmas changes absolutely everything. I want to tell you what the writer of the gospel, according to John, says. He doesn't describe the birth of Christ, but rather he tells us what it is all truly about. We, we just read some of these verses there at the end, but in verse 14 of chapter 1, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. I, I wanna focus on that first part, verse 14, where it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, we sing this time of year, is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the unseen becoming personal. Jesus was God in the flesh born not from the world, but born into the world. And this might be the most significant verse in all of scripture, because it means that unlike any other religion, any other belief system, Christianity is a historical reality. God came into our existence. He burst into our history. And while any other faith, many have notions of morality or even self-sacrifice, only Christianity can point to Jesus and claim these as fact that God came into history from the outside, God incarnate, the holiness of God entering the brokenness of humanity. See, religion is man's pursuit of God, us striving after God, us pursuing God. And yet what Christmas is all about is that God pursues us. God came to us on that first Christmas, light into dark. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, prophetically describing the coming of Jesus as the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And so tonight, as we celebrate Christmas as we do every year, we remember all the facts of Christmas. We remember a star and a manger and, and shepherds and wise men and angels and all the miraculous details of that first Christmas night. But as we celebrate and as we sing, let us not miss the significance of Christ's birth. 
I love Christmas carols because they, they really get down to, if you pay attention to them, the truth of this day, the deep truth. This child born in poverty was Christ by highest heaven adored. He left the throne room of heaven adored by the angels to come and be with us. He is Christ, the everlasting Lord. And, and so when, when Mary beheld her newborn baby, think about a newborn baby, his tiny fingers grasping her pinky, his face and his eyes swollen from the labor. As she beheld him, she was looking upon incarnate God, veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, hail, incarnate deity. Why did he come? Why was he born? To bring light and life. Mild he lay his glories by, born that man no more may die. Christ was born that first Christmas in order that we might be born again, born anew into eternal life. In the Gospel of John, as Jesus is explaining all of this to Nicodemus, this religious leader that comes to him in the night, Nicodemus says, how can this be? How will the kingdom come? And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. For God so loved the world that he, he sent his son that by believing in him, we might take hold of this eternal life. How do we do that? Well, in the winter of 1850, in a town called Colchester in England, snow began to fall. This was the great blizzard of 1850 in England and, and the blizzard conditions began to worsen. So you picture a morning in which the snow is piling higher and higher and it just happens to be a Sunday morning. The, the skies are dark. The clouds are heavy, the wind is blowing, the snow sideways, you can barely see in front of your face. But there was one 15-year-old named Charles who was determined to make it to church that morning. I don't know why he didn't just live stream it, but he decided, <laughs> he decided to try to walk through the snow. And so he goes out and, and, and there was a reason for it. Though his beliefs were beginning to settle, he had been drawn to God and, and he just had so many questions about life about the darkness of life, about his own internal turmoil and brokenness and his own darkness. And there was something about God, the God of the Bible, that was drawing him. Now, we know that to be the Holy Spirit who draws people unto himself. But there was something about Charles that was compelled to get up on that snowy day, that wintry morning, and make it to church one way or another but the snow begins to pile higher and higher. He trudges his best through the snow, but there's no way he's going to make it. So I'll let Charles tell you in his own words what happened next. He says, I sometimes think I might've been in darkness and despair now, had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning when I was going to a place of worship. When I could go no further, I turned down a court and came to a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there might've been a dozen or 15 people. The minister didn't even come that morning. Snowed in, I suppose. And so a poor man, a shoemaker or a tailor or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. And he was obliged to stick to the scriptures because, well, he didn't really have anything else to say. The text was this, Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. He didn't even pronounce the words correctly, but that didn't matter. There was, Charles says, I thought a glimpse of hope for me in that text. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. He began thus, my dear friends, and I'm not gonna start doing a British accent. Um, my father often does that and he would get stuck in it for the remainder of his sermon. So I'm gonna avoid that a pitfall. <laughs> but the preacher, or at least the fill-in preacher that morning, he opens this text, he reads it, and then he begins to describe it. And he, he begins with that first word, look, 
Look. Uh, looking doesn't take a great deal of effort, he says. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It just says look. Well, a man need not go to college to learn to look. He might be the biggest fool and you can look. A man need not be worth a thousand a year to come and look. Anyone can look. A child can look. But this is what the text says. Then it says, look unto me. I, he says in broad Essex, many of ye are looking to yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort in yourselves. Then the good man followed up his text in this way. And the preacher that morning who's filling in for this pulpit on this snowy day, he begins to just remind the audience of the pictures of Jesus we see throughout the gospels. And he calls them to look. Look unto the babe laid in a manger. Look unto me, healing the sick. Look unto me, casting out the devils. Look unto me, setting free the captive. Look unto me, I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me, I'm hanging on a cross. Look, I'm dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend. I am sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, look unto me, look unto me. When he had got about that length and managed to spin out 10 minutes, he was at the length of his tether. Then he looked at me, Charles says, he looked at me under the gallery. And I dare say with so few present, he knew me to be a stranger. And he said, young man, you look very miserable. <laughs> well, I did. But I had not been accustomed to have remarks made on my personal appearance from the pulpit before. However, it was a good blow struck. And he continued, and you will always be miserable. Miserable in life, miserable in death, if you do not obey this text. But if you do obey now, in this moment, you will be saved. Then he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist can, young man, look to Jesus Christ. There and then, the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away. And that moment I saw the sun and I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ. In that moment, 15-year-old Charles Spurgeon at last beheld what Christ had done for him. Whereas before he walked through life as through a cloud of darkness, there in that moment as he looked to the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross for him, and he stepped forward in belief in simply looking to the cross of Christ, that cloud vanished. And he stepped that day into everlasting life. Charles Spurgeon was born again. And he went on to be, as you probably know, one of the greatest preachers the world has ever known. But what was his joy? Was his joy that he became a great preacher? No, his joy was that Christ would come to him. To be born in a stable, to be born in poverty, to be born to a, a virgin in, in the middle of a country of no great reputation, to live, to suffer, to die, and then to rise. So that by believing in him, we might have life anew, be born again into everlasting life as we look to him. Christ is born. Have you been born again? It's simple. What was necessary to, to forgive your sins has already been done for you. Simply look to the cross as Spurgeon did. Look to Jesus and be ye saved. Believe. 
and surrender to your life to him. You don't believe me. Some of you don't believe me, but God wants you. He has drawn you here tonight to draw you to himself because he loves you. And what Christmas is all about is the pursuit of God toward people who are in darkness. Light bursting into darkness in pursuit of us. He wants you to know tonight that he loves you so much that he would leave his throne on high to be born in utter poverty, to take nails through his hands and his feet and to give his life in our place so that, so that we can receive forgiveness of sins that we could never earn. He offers himself. Would you receive him tonight? Would you look to him? Pray with me, if you would. And as I pray, I ask you to make this prayer your own. Lord Jesus, I know about the darkness, the defeat, the depression, the discord in the world. I know it because I know it in my own life. Yet as we read your word, as I hear this word, I come to discover that you've given the answer. You came into the world as counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, the prince of peace, to bring light and liberty, grace and gladness, meaning and more to people like me. Lord, do that for us tonight. Set us free as we look to you. Accomplish it. We look to you and we look to your finished work on the cross. Establish your throne in our lives tonight. Oh Lord, we are so grateful for your love. So grateful to have you as Lord of our lives and to possess the peace that will have no end. In Jesus' name, amen.